his actual name, Jeshua or Yeshua um, in the Hebrew. And then tomorrow during the Christmas Eve service, we are going to look at his other name listed in this passage, which is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let me, let me read it for us. You can either look in your bulletin, I think it's in there, or on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is, the prophet Isaiah. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's a birth narrative, and we come to this passage this morning asking an important question. What is this particular passage, this birth passage, really about? You probably, if you've been to church services around Christmas time, you've probably heard this passage before. But what's really going on here? There are three main characters. You immediately see them in the passage. It's in your bulletin if you want to keep looking at it. And that is, of course, Mary, Joseph, and the angel. Now, of course, that's we're assuming the, also the unborn Jesus uh, to be a part of the story too. But the actors that are acting in this particular story are Mary and Joseph and the angel. And we have a big clue into the meaning of this passage at the very end, the very final verse. Let's, could J- Jacob, can you turn back one time? This, is, this is kind of sums up this whole passage right here. And he, that is Joseph, called his name Jesus. Ultimately, this pericope, this passage of Scripture, is about the naming of Jesus. That's the important piece here. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into this idea of naming. But we're going to go deeper than that. We're going to look also at the name of Jesus himself. And then we're going to look sort of at the power of names. So here's how I've broken it down for our outline this morning. There's several things that that come in play when we're talking about the naming of Jesus. The first is the power to name. That's number one. If you're a note taker, it's in your bulletin. The power to name. Then we're going to look at the power of his name. It's actually printed slightly wrong in the bulletin. Uh, My fault. Um, It's the power of his name we're going to look at. And then finally, we're going to end with the power of our name. What does this mean for us? as we dive into, on this Advent Sunday, the naming of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's dive right in. Number one, the power to name. So here's the point. Your authority names you and shapes you. 
Your authority names you and shapes you. Thus, it was vitally important, and we see it in this passage, that Jesus was named by God himself and not by Mary and Joseph. It's very surprising how that happens in our particular passage today. Because it's not as though, you know, uh, Joseph's sitting around and he's like, uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm going through my name book like we like to do. Or what are the most popular names in 2018? That's not what he's doing. He is going to be stewing at this time about <laughs> this revelation that his girlfriend, or it's more like his fiance, is pregnant and he had nothing to do with it. So obviously there's problems going on, right? And so his focus, I guarantee, was not on, hmm, what should I name this child? He's going, ah, what are we going to do? Okay, I'll just divorce her quietly. You know, he's a nice guy, pretty good guy. And so he's freaking out a little bit. But the angel comes to him in a dream, the second actor in our story, and is like, calm down. (laughs) Take it easy, bud. God's got this handled. What's really important, did you catch it from the angel? What's really important, Joseph, is that you don't name this child. <laughs> that's, that's what we're concerned about. <laughs> we're not concerned about you figuring out how you're going to do the paperwork for this marriage or the fact that the Holy Spirit has come and has uh, put this child into Mary. What we're concerned about is the name. And you will, Joseph, name this child Jesus, Yeshua, which is, Yah means God, and then Shua in the Hebrew means, it's the same word for Joshua in the Old Testament, means saves. Shua means saves. So it's God saves. And then, you know, Matthew wants to reiterate that point, and so he goes into it and he says, because this person, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. But the real, the real emphatic part that, we're getting, that God is getting across, that Matthew is getting across in this passage, is the fact that this would have been highly unusual because it was extremely important in that culture, much more so than our culture, for the parents, especially the father, to name the child. It was a really big deal. It was not like we do today, as I just mentioned, pawing through the, the sort of name book. And, you know, I like the sound of Timothy. It just has a good ring to it. Or, you know, I'm Skyler. That, isn't that just a great name that I'll name my kid? No. In, in this culture, especially for in the Jewish culture of the time, the child did not get named until it was circumcised, and the child did not get circumcised until it was eight days old. So there was a, a huge process of prayer and of thinking and of, of digging. And often when the parents finally named the child, it said something about who they were and what their destiny was going to be. Names were a really big deal. I mean, you even see this in cultures before ours, not necessarily Hebrew cultures, but, you know, if you know someone who's Scandinavian, I've got a lot of Scandinavians in my family, often their name is like Erickson, right? Or Johnson, or something along those lines, which is, it's naming you after your family heritage, right? Another important thing. It's saying you are part of this family line, and this family line is known for certain things, whether good or bad. Naming is exceptionally important. And it's exceptionally important, especially in our passage today, who is the person who does the naming? That's why God is stepping in through the angel, and he's saying, Mary, Joseph, you're good folks. 
<laughs> I picked Mary to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Y'all are great. Thank you. And they have been obedient all along. But look, you do not get the privilege to name the uncaused cause. You do not get the privilege to name the king and creator of the universe. It's just not going to happen. Because the most important thing for Jesus as he goes through his journey on earth, as he teaches people about the truth of God, and as he goes to the torture and death on the cross, he must always know whose he is. It's going to be extremely important for him to know whose he is, even more important than who he is. His connection with the Father was like something none of us have ever known. And this was God stepping in at the very beginning and saying, you're mine. You're mine. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I have the power to name and I'm going to name you. It's like I've got pet names for my kids. You've probably heard me yell them out before. Nug, that's Hunter's sort of funny name. And then Dandy, they don't love these. But uh, then there's Dandy for Andrew. And then uh, Lyndon, I call Peaches and Cream. And those are names of affection. Not a lot of other people use those names. And they're powerful. Because what they're saying is whose they are. I know that name. There are other people who don't know those names. But it's very special for me because it shows my affection. It shows there is someone in your life who loves you more than any other person in the world and who would literally die for you. And y'all, that is the foundation of what their identity will be as they grow up. It's why someone who does not have a parent who knows them, who is able to name them, often struggles with an identity crisis. This is very common for human beings, human beings especially that might grow up in an orphanage. And it's why God has a special heart for orphans. Because they didn't get that name. And they need to know, more importantly than any other person on earth, whose they are. And whose are they? God says they're mine. Ultimately, they're mine. And that's the message that he was getting across to Mary and Joseph and to Jesus. You're mine. I am going to be with you every step of the way. And we see this, y'all, play out in Jesus' life. He's constantly battered by difficulties. He's constantly having to argue with people, but he retreats often. If you read the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, Jesus often goes and gets alone. He'll, the Bible will say he was alone on a mountaintop or he was alone in a boat or something along those lines. And the point is, he was with his father. That's what he was doing. He was going back and reminding himself whose he was because that was way more important than who he was. Yeshua. We're going to get to that in a minute. Y'all, we run into trouble when we lose sight of whose we are. Because the Bible teaches us that our hearts are wired to try to define ourselves by our accomplishments. And that is extremely dangerous. If we try to define ourselves and, and, and say, you know, whose I am? I am the rich guy. Whose am I at that point? I'm money. That's, what, that, that's who owns me at that point. That's who my real Savior is. Or I'm, I'm a pretty woman, right? That's saying, you know what? It's my body that, that has that power to name me. Or I'm the, 
storied professor, or I'm the kindly student, or whatever label you want to throw onto yourself if you try to self-define, that's kind of how you are trying to name yourself, and you have to be extremely careful. It will derail your life. It probably has already to some degree derailed your life. By thinking that whose you are is some accomplishment that you can do with your own hands. Why is that so dangerous? Because it's about your performance. And you will fail. (laughs) And you will be strung out on anxiety. And you will be worried. And you will be in tears. Because you forgot whose you were. You forgot that there is an unconditional love out there that transcends anything, any performance that you could do on this earth. And that's, again, what was happening with Jesus in this passage. He was, sens- he was getting for the first time, before he was even born, he was going to know exactly whose he was. And it was going to be the guiding path for his entire life. He was unflappable. If, you're, if you've really read the New Testament scriptures and really looked at this person of Jesus, y'all, he was unflappable. He was not affected by the criticism of other people. He was not affected, more importantly, by the praise of other people. He was just, he was like a knife through butter. He just cut through it. He knew, he's like, he's like, okay, thank you for saying that. And he would just, he would slip right past somebody's flattery. The rich young ruler walks up to him and is like, good teacher. You know, he's thinking, I'm going to impress him. I'm coming up and talking to this this great teacher, Jesus. And Jesus is like, nope, stop there. (laughs) I don't receive that. (laughs) God alone is good. The Pharisees came and attacked him, and he just, again, he can just speak perfectly truth in love. It's the one thing none of us can ever do. Speak perfectly truth in love. But Jesus, who was so utterly confident of whose he was, he cut right through life. It's a beautiful thing, y'all, and it really is set up for us to be able to understand that it's possible for us to achieve also. Not perfectly, not anywhere near what Jesus was doing. But he was teaching us that knowing whose we are can really define the trajectory of our life, can really bring the kind of peace and love and joy that the Bible talks about. Here's how Jesus put it. One of the, just to reiterate this point, and this is the final part of this first point, um, of the point of whose you are is more important than who you are. Jesus spoke a lot about real life. You've heard me talk about this. Zoe, it's that Greek term. Eternal life is how the New Testament often translates it. And he's, people are constantly coming up to him and being like, how do we get that? How do we get eternal life? That's what I want. That sounds amazing, what you're offering, Jesus. And here's, here's how Jesus defines it in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's talking about an intimate relationship of knowledge that is cultivated in the place of whose we are, not who we are. This is the fuel, the essence of life with God, knowing that He alone has the power to name us. We're going to conclude today with what our name is, but we're getting, before we get there, I want to talk for just a minute about more importantly than our name is the name of Jesus. So our second point today is the power of His name. And it's Jesus in this passage. We're going to study Emmanuel tomorrow. Today we're studying Jesus. And it's this, it's this idea that Jesus has the power to save from sins. Right? He is the Savior of 
the world. There is no other name on earth by which we can be saved. That's what the scripture teaches us. There's power in his name. How awesome is that? The God that we serve has power in his very name, and he is getting it right here at the beginning of Matthew. Let's, let's look at a couple of other passages that talk about the power of the name of Jesus. And it was a rock-solid direction for his life. Jesus, Jesus did not waver. I've had a friend ask me one time, why is there not more like, stand-up comedy in the Bible? Why isn't there more humor? I mean, Jesus just seems so serious. And y'all, he, he kind of was. Now, don't get me wrong. I guarantee that he laughed and cut up with his friends. But there was a sense in which Jesus... Because of knowing whose he was from God naming him and knowing who he was from his actual name, Jeshua, Jesus, he was on a mission and he did not veer. He cut, again, he cut right through all of the distractions. He knew what he was about. He knew what the Father had him to accomplish and he was set on that journey. It's an incredible picture of determination and of what an incredible Savior we have who would die for us. Let me read just a couple of passages that talk about the name of Jesus, and then we'll dive into what our name is and what it means for us this week. Acts 4, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John fourteen thirteen, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, for the Father may be glorified in the Son. Romans ten thirteen says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then finally, Matthew 1, chapter 20, uh, Chapter 1, verse 21, which we read this morning. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save their people from their sins. It's an incredible picture. The Bible, and there's more. I have more written on here. I won't bore you with all the different examples. But the Bible is super clear, y'all. Calling on the name of Jesus is, is power. There is po- God gave him his name. And his name is power. In tackling sin, in defeating evil in this world, in becoming a Christian even, just calling on His name, there is power there. Have you reflected on that recently? Especially as we come to Christmas, on the power of the name of Jesus. Have you spoken it to yourself and to others? Or have you been running from it? I encourage you, y'all, be encouraged. Be reminded of the power of the name of Jesus. That you can experience the very power of God through the name of Christ. Okay, so those are our first two points. We looked at, first of all, the power to name. God alone had the power to name. There's authority in naming something, and that's what God did with Jesus by sending the angel to Joseph. Then we looked also at the fact that there is power, there is true spiritual and real power in the name of Jesus. And we have got to keep it as a part of our life, our prayer life, our spiritual life, our devotional life, and then finally, the power of our name. Let's talk for just a minute about what this means for us. Um, It's not that different than Jesus in the sense that our lives are fueled in the very same way that Jesus' life was fueled. That is, knowing whose you are. The term that 
the church came up with, and I think it's really helpful, and we still use this label today, is, well, anybody want to take a guess? What's the term that we use to describe ourselves? The people who worship God, worship Jesus. What? Christian. Christian, yeah. It's pretty simple. And I appreciate the fact that the church came up with that term because it's extremely helpful, and I want to encourage you guys with that term here this morning. Christian. It has Christ in it. It's a remembrance of the fact that when we call on the name of Jesus to be saved, we are drawn up into Him. Right? The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. We are now so united with Christ that when God looks down, He not only he doesn't see us, He sees the covering of Jesus over us. He sees the blood of Jesus covering us. We have that same truth spoken over us. You are my son, you are my daughter, and with you I am well pleased. That is spoken over us because of Jesus Christ and His covering. Christian Have you been excited about that name recently? Have you? I don't know if you're like me, but I often sort of shy away from it. Like, people are like, oh, you must be a Christian. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's not cool in this town to be a Christian, right? I don't necessarily know what to do with that label. It's going to ostracize me in some ways. It may hold me back from things that I'm trying to accomplish, promotions or something along those lines. But the Bible is saying, y'all... It's an awesome label. It is a reminder constantly and sufficiently of whose you are. Your God's. Your God's. He has authority over you and He is with you at all times. In the same way that Jesus could go to God the Father, you can go to God the Father because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. And y'all, and I, let, let, me, let me just get practical for a minute. This name of Christian and labeling ourselves with it, gets challenged all the time. You're going to get challenged by other labels that are thrown onto you. It's kind of like this book that my kids enjoy reading. It's a little, uh, it's a little I don't know if it's a Christmas book, but it's a cute book. It's by this guy named Max Lucado, and it's called You Are Special. There's another version called You Are Mine. But basically, it's the fact that there's a woodcarver who lives up on a hill... And the woodcarver makes uh, these people that walk around this town, and they're named Wemmicks. The Wemmicks do their business in town, and they you know, are interacting as a society, just like our society, and there's a creator who's up on the hill. And what they do, the Wemmicks do, is they have stars they give out, and they have gray dots that they give out. And the stars you get for performing well or for being good looking or for being, you know, somebody who's uh, a, a talented at something. And so they're constantly sticking stars on one another. They walk around town all day long sticking stars. And then if you trip or you fail or you're not a good singer or you're not a good, uh, good at some talent or you make a fool of yourself in front of other people, you get a gray dot stuck on you. And so the gray dots are constantly getting stuck on people. And people are covered in these things, right? And, and it begins to name them. It begins to define who they are. And that you, you see in the story that the people, the Wemmicks, are absolutely and utterly ruled by the stickers. If they have a lot of gray dots, they are depressed. They are forlorn. They are f- rejected by society, but if they have stars all over them, 
they're the first thing you see on your Instagram feed or your Facebook page or your news section, right? Especially if you have the entertainment little section like I do. That's an incredible story because I love the fact that Maslicato was able to tap into all of our experience. You might be feeling it today. Those labels, right? How many stars you got? How many gray dots you got today? You looking for more? (laughs) Who are you going to get it from? And y'all, there was one character in the story. It was incredible. Who was able to walk through the town and she had no stars and no gray dots at all. Somebody would stick them on and it would just fly right off. And the Wemmick, who is the protagonist in the story, the main character in the story, can't figure it out. He's like, how is this possible that this person has no gray dots and no stars attached to them? And so he goes up to the woodmaker, the, the woodcarver up on the hill, and he says, Sir! And he's like, yes, my son. Because he made him, right? He's the creator. He says, yes, my son. He says, how does so-and-so girl not have any stars? And he's like, well, she comes up here and she visits with me every day. And she finds out exactly who she is and then it doesn't matter what the stickers are from the other people. What matters is what I think. It's such a beautiful picture of what the name of Jesus means and what the name of Christian means for us. Y'all, if you're like me, you sometimes get lost in the stickers. You just you don't even know it's happening. You're just paralyzed by the fact that either you've got too many gray dots or you think a gray dot is coming or you just got some stars and you don't want to let them fall off. But What this passage is telling us about our name, our name as Christian, y'all, is that the labels you get from other people don't matter. They don't. Practical application. Christmas is here. Everybody's going to go see some family. Guess who probably labeled you when you were a kid? Your family, right? Guess who you're labeling when you go to these things? Kids, right? We all pick them up, and you've got them. And you're going to come in and you're going to feel the pressure of those labels when you're with your family. And those, those stars are going to stick and those gray dots are going to stick and it's going to be tough, isn't it? Yeah, if you're like me. And this passage is telling us, you can be free from that. No, 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 no. You do not have to be the product of the labels you've been given over the course of your life. You don't. You can be utterly free because you've been named if you've joined yourself with Christ, if you've called on His name for your salvation, you have a new name. And I mean this, y'all. I know, it's hard to believe. You really can be free. You are not what other people have defined you as. You're not that. Now, this does not mean take good advice. Absolutely take good advice. But the only way you can truly take good advice is if you come in knowing, like Jesus, whose you are. God says to you, you are mine. You are mine. My love is on you. Hear for a moment from some passages to encourage you in this path. Isaiah. It's the passages surrounding the servant psalm, the servant songs that talk about Jesus. They're prophecies, right? Well, these are prophecies for God's people. Hear these. For just, I've just got a couple of them. 
It says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here again and be encouraged from Isaiah 46. It says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. That's the Father speaking over you. Your name. That's whose you are. And finally, Isaiah chapter 62. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephisbah. You know what that means? My delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. For the Lord... Are you all hearing it? Not from me. The Lord delights in you. The Lord delights in you. That's whose you are. Finally, as we conclude... Check our time. We're good. As we conclude, um, there is a joy in knowing whose you are and really being deeply and intimately connected with God. It's, it's Zoe. That's what Jesus talked about. But here's the hard part, and I've got to just say it because it's the truth. When we're that intimate with God, with the Father when we're connected in in a way that's maybe somewhat similar to what Jesus experienced, because it's through Jesus that we do it. The Bible teaches that our life is not going to be totally dissimilar to that of Jesus himself. This is the tough part. It means that if you really embrace the label of whose you are, you will be ostracized. There will be people who think you're weird and crazy. And you will probably suffer a lot. Because it's the path that God carved out for those who know whose they are. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tons of joy to be had. The Bible promises great joy in the midst of suffering. But what it's calling us to, as we think about going home to our families for Christmas, is the fact that we're called to serve and to die for those people, even the ones who have put labels on us that sting to this very day. Because we are allowed, and I hope you can do this during this Christmas season, to retreat and go to sit in the woodmaker's shop and just hear from him, my delight is in you. I love you. Those labels don't matter. Now get back out there and serve those that want to put stickers and stars on you. Let's pray. Jesus, your name is power. 
It's hope. It's joy. It's peace. Lord, I pray that as all of us enter into um, family time, Lord, whether it's the, the sting of being alone at Christmas or being estranged or abandoned by our family, or it's the joy of being around some family we haven't seen in a long time. Lord, no matter where we are on the spectrum, I pray 